Amen. It's so good to be here and to share God's word uh, with you. Let us join together in prayer before we do so. Lord, as we come at this precious time of just hearing from your word, uh, Lord, we thank you that we are able to gather together as the community of faith, those on campus and those worshiping online. Uh, Lord, we ask that the spirit of God go before us. Uh, Lord, thank you for the spirit's work in our life and opening our eyes uh, to see the beauty of the gospel and the same spirit uh, that gives us a desire and power to live within the realms of that gospel. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're going to begin where we left off last week. We'll be in verses 145 uh, through 152. If you're joining with us on campus I would, uh, and you do not have a Bible, I would invite you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat you're sitting in. There should be a blue, blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 573. Uh, it, the words will be on the screens behind me. If you're choosing to use a device, I was reminded yesterday. Yesterday I was at a funeral with a friend of mine whose grandfather passed away, and I rarely use my phone uh, for scripture. I always try to have my Bible with me, but in this case I didn't. And I'm trying to read the scripture that the pastor was uh, speaking on, and I must have got like 20 notifications uh, that constantly popped up. So I would just encourage you, if you use your phone or a device, that's great. Just turn off the notifications so you can focus on uh, the word of the Lord. If you are joining with us for the first time, we are on the tail end of a, uh, a chapter of scripture in Psalm 119, just walking through it verse by verse. Uh, it's an amazing chapter, but I just uh, want to let you know that this, this chapter really focuses on our, our need for the Lord and our need for the word of the Lord. Those things go together. And so this central theme of Psalm 119 has been about the word of the Lord. And we find the psalmist in a place uh, where uh, he is, again, reminding us of the importance of the word of the Lord. And so what we've done every week is this particular chapter is broken into 22 different stanzas. Uh, each stanza represented by a, a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, we are going to look at that letter this morning. It's the letter uh, Kuf. Uh, the Hebrew letter kuf, you'll see that in just a moment, uh, but the Hebrew language is written from right to left instead of left to right, and what's amazing about this particular um, passage in this particular case is each uh, verse in this particular stanza begins with that same uh, letter. Uh, it's been known or been said that this uh, Hebrew letter kuf uh, represents like the eye of a needle, so you can kind of see that, uh, but it also represents kind of the back of the head or the, or the neck. And the important part is, is the psalmist is again reminding us of the importance of reflecting and remembering that God is the God of the impossible, right? Uh, he is the one that we are to go to uh, for, our, for our help, right? There is a dependency that we should have as a follower of Christ in uh, the work of the Lord. And so the psalmist is going to very clearly... And verses 145 through 152 this morning uh, illustrate his great need for help from the Lord. Uh, the scripture says, beginning in verse 145, With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them 
forever. And so uh, here the psalmist is going to show us. And what is it that the psalmist does to show us that he has a deep need for help from the Lord? What is it that he does? Uh, He prays. That's what he does. And for you and I as followers of Christ, one of the greatest ways that we can show that we have a great need for the Lord in our life is through what? It's through our prayer life. And that's what the psalmist begins to unpack for us. Uh, In fact, your prayer life is essential. Your prayer life is essential. And that's what the psalmist shows us. How do we know that our prayer life is so important? What is it that the psalmist shows us in this particular passage? One, he shows us that prayer expresses our dependency, our dependency on the Lord. That's one of the main things that prayer does. Prayer shows that we are dependent on the Lord. And how does he show that? Verse 145, the very beginning, it says, With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. And then in the first part of verse 146, he says, I call to you, save me. And so right out of the gates, the scripture says that the psalmist says, I cry to the Lord. Now think about this for just a moment. As a parent, you recognize different ways that our children cry, right? Uh, Sometimes they cry because they don't get their way, right? They're having a temper tantrum, right? They're angry, right? Uh, Sometimes they cry because they're whiny because I'm so bored or there's nothing to eat and you just spent like $400 at Costco. What they're trying to say is you didn't get me what I wanted, right? But then there's a cry that, that everybody recognizes, It's a cry of hurt and a cry of fear. And that's what the psalmist is explaining to us with this cry. The cry of the psalmist is a yelling or a screaming because he is hurting and afraid. The psalmist is crying out with every fiber of his being. The very depths of his heart, the very depths of his soul, his prayer is personal. His prayer is intense. Uh, He's holding nothing back. And in dependency, he's crying out to the Lord. Why? Because he knows that the only way that that need can be satisfied is through the Lord. Through the Lord. I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. I need you to deliver me. I'm hurting and I need your intervention. It reminds me of a, a precious lady in the Old Testament, a lady by the name of Hannah. Now set the stage real quick at the closing of the book of Judges and it shows itself multiple times in the book of Judges but very clearly at the very, very end uh, the scripture says that during those days, in those times uh, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what they wanted, right? Can you imagine a society where they just want to do whatever they want? We don't have to imagine, right? We see it. But God's people, In this particular time of history are doing just that. They're doing whatever they wanted. But in the midst of all that, there is a woman of God who loved her Lord and her faith was in him. But yet she's experiencing dark and challenging times. Uh, Hannah was barren. She had no children. And that was her desire. Her desire was to have a child, a great desire for a child. And the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 10, Uh, She was uh, deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. The phrase, she was deeply uh, distressed, means that, uh, in a sense, she was bitter in the soul, right? She was dissatisfied. She was uh, discontent. She was disappointed with the way uh, life has gone. Uh, She's weeping uh, bitterly. That means she's sobbing uncontrollably. She's experiencing tremendous hurt. 
Uh, and if you read the rest of 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find that she's afflicted and oppressed in her spirit. Uh, in fact, the scripture in the Hebrew uh, kind of illustrates the fact that she was hurting so deep, she didn't even want to eat, right? She didn't want to eat. And, but yet, where does she turn to? She turns humbly to the Lord. And, and can, you, can you feel her pain today? I mean, maybe you walked in this morning or joined with us this morning, and you're right in the middle of one of those dark days, one of those uh, dark moments in your life. Maybe it's a result of health or your marriage or some other type of relationship. Uh, Maybe it's due to a job situation or financial struggle. All those different things bring us into a place where we, we can be hurting. And it's the hurt that just comes out of nowhere, right? Like you're just not expecting what is going on. And the question is, will you choose... To humbly go before the Lord in dependency uh, through the blessing of prayer. Uh, During time of great hardship, David himself writes in Psalm 34 verse 4, he says, I sought, so this is an intense sinking that David has. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he, he delivered me. In other words, he didn't abandon me, but yet he rescued me from all my fears. What are you afraid of this morning? What is it that you fear the most? What is it that you long for? Will you in humble dependency on the Lord go before the Lord in prayer? Have your cries go out to him, anticipating and expecting that in his goodness he will answer it according to his will. Because of the work of Jesus, guess what? We have full access to the Father. Praise God for that. Uh, Not only does our prayer uh, express dependency on the Lord, our prayer realigns our desires. It realigns our desires. So again, we're talking about why is prayer so important in your life and in my life as a follower of Christ. Second thing that the psalmist says is it realigns our desires. The psalmist not only goes to the Lord uh, showing dependency on him, but expressing a desire to follow the Lord. Uh, he, He has already said, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, for what purpose? The second part of verse 145, I will keep your statutes. He says, I call to you, save me for what purpose? The second part of verse 146, that I may observe your testimonies. This is what the psalmist is expressing to us, that through his prayer life, he has a desire to honor and faithfully follow the Lord. Lord, in my situation, I cry out to you with my whole heart. Please answer me so I will be able to faithfully follow you. In other words, if the psalmist is not getting uh, that answer from the Lord, Getting that help that he needs from the Lord. He will not be able to faithfully follow him. We see the same desire in Hannah's life. Remember, she's sobbing uncontrollably, right? To the point where she she really has no appetite any longer. And what does she say? In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, the scripture says, And she vowed a vow and said. So this grief-stricken, faithful woman of the Lord makes a vow to the Lord. Now, some people will say, well, you should never make a vow to the Lord. That, that's wrong. You make a vow to the Lord when you, with the intention that you're going to follow through, right? Like you promise, it's okay to promise the Lord if the intention is you are going to follow through. And that's what she does. So she makes a vow and she says, oh, Lord of hosts. That's a great phrase. In fact, this is the very first time that phrase shows up in the Bible. Oh, Lord of hosts. And if we think about this idea of host, uh, we think about uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets, the galaxies, and in in Hannah's day, uh, what would happen is people would ascribe to false worship, and so they would worship all these false gods, gods that related to the sun, or the moon, the stars, and the planets, and what does Hannah do? Hannah says, I am not worshiping those false gods. 
Right? I am worshiping the God who created the sun. I am worshiping the God who created the moon. I am worshiping the God who created the stars and the galaxy. She's talking about her dependency on the Lord. So she makes a vow and, and she prays out uh, to the Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And so she goes before the Lord and says, Lord, my desire is to have a son, but my greater desire is to honor you. And if you choose, by your grace, to gift me with a son, I will turn him back to you. And that phrase there where it talks about no razor shall touch his head, it's a picture of the Nazarite vow. She's dedicating her uh, unborn son, if the Lord blesses her with that, uh, for the service of his work and this is exactly what happens. The Lord gifts her with a son. A son by the name of Samuel. And she dedicated her son, Samuel, all the days of his life to the Lord. So yes, she had a desire for her son. But she had a greater desire to honor the Lord. You know, we see this in, in, in a greater sense, a far greater sense in the life of Jesus uh, the author of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 he says in the days of his flesh so as Jesus was on this earth right uh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence now that takes you all the way back to the garden of Gethsemane during that dark hour before the Lord goes to the cross but in the midst of that dark hour what is Jesus doing Jesus is crying out at the depths of his soul to the Lord. Lord, don't let the fear of death consume me. Why? We, we must not forget the humanity of Christ, right? 100% God, 100% human. He endured the cross by praying to his Father. If there is no other way, Lord, Father, strengthen me and help me finish what you have sent me to do. And the the beauty of that prayer being answered is this. The rescue that Jesus received wasn't from death, but out of death, right? On the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Why? Jesus dedicated his life. The greater desire for him is what? To follow faithfully after his father. Are your prayers realigning your desires to live within God's will for your life? Even at great expense, right? Great cost, great sacrifice. A prayer is not only essential uh, because it realigns our desires, it, it sharpens our focus. It sharpens our focus. We see this in verses 147 through 150. Uh, the psalmist says, beginning in one, uh, verse 147, he says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. So the psalmist is praying early in the morning, right? That's what the scripture says, before dawn, before the sun comes out. This is first priority, all right? This is intentional prayer. And notice that the intentional prayer is connected to what? It's connected to the word of the Lord. I hope in your words. I meditate on your promise. Listen, prayer without being connected to the word is not effective in any way. And so when you pray, you pray the word of the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is teaching us. He has his hope in the word of the Lord. He's resting and finding a comfort in the truths that are found in the word of the Lord. And he is praying early in the morning 
with great anticipation and great expectation that God will do what? God will meet him where he is at. And the the psalmist shows us continued focus on the Lord by remaining restful all the way into the late night hours. His eyes are awake before the watches of the night. This is probably a, a picture of between the hours of 10 p.m. or 2 a.m. and 2, 10, 2 a.m. or 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. So this is late night, man. He is focusing on the Lord. Now we don't know that uh, if the psalmist just can't sleep. How many of y'all experienced that before? Or if the psalmist is choosing not to sleep. But what we do know is that his focus is where? In his prayer, he's focused. He's meditating on the word of the Lord. The word meditate means to absorb. To absorb all that you've learned based on your time with the Lord in prayer and your time uh, with the Lord through his word. That you're, that you're absorbing all that in for the purpose of what? To apply it to your situation. To apply it uh, to your Uh, circumstances. So he's not emptying his mind. That's the philosophy of the world. He is filling his mind with the word of the Lord and his time spent with the Lord. When David is experiencing a time of great struggle, he's uh, fleeing from King Saul. He's in a time of wilderness, if you will. Uh, The scripture says in Psalm 63 verses 5 through 8, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So where is David's focus? David's focus is on the Lord. Early morning, late at night, verse 7, for you have what? You have been my help. Lord, you have been faithful all along. And in the shadow of your wings, in this, and that could talk about uh, protection, things like that. I really think what David is talking about in the shadow of your wings, in your very presence. I'm experiencing the presence of the Lord in the midst of my wilderness journey. He says, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know, David is saying this not in the comforts of his home or in the comforts of all the people around him that love him. That's not where he's saying these things. He's in the wilderness. He's exposed to the elements that the wilderness offers, but he's clinging on uh, to the Lord. What a beautiful picture of tremendous focus on the Lord. It's his voice of hope. That's why he goes to the word of the Lord. And notice that the voice of hope does not come because his circumstances are great. His voice of hope comes because it's based on what? It's based on the character of God. That's what we see in Psalm 119 verse 149. He says, hear my voice, my prayer, my petition, according to what? According to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. Man, the psalmist has a deep desire for uh, that communion with the Lord. That fellowship with the Lord that comes through prayer and through reading the word of the Lord. He's going to the Lord because he trusts, he knows that God is gracious, that God is good, that God is loyal, that God is faithful. God is committed to his own character. Uh, Speaking of this, Isaiah 63 verse 7 says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted to us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to what? Because they were good? Because they obeyed? No, they're in captivity. According to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. During 
times of challenge and adversity and affliction and suffering, where do you go? Where is your focus in the midst of all that? Why is that important for the psalmist? To have dependency on the Lord, to have realigned desires toward the Lord and sharpened focus to the Lord. Verse 150, he says, they, he's talking about his enemies. They come up again, right? They're just all over the place. They, his enemies, uh, draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. Man, the psalmist's enemies are persistent, right? They're persistent in their pursuit. They're ruthless in their attacks. They're seeking to harm him and they have malicious intent. Why is that? The scripture says, because they are far from God's law. Listen, when an individual chooses to get far from the word of the Lord, guess what? Anything is possible. Any scope of wickedness is possible and that is what's happening to the psalmist. They're closing in. Do you see why prayer life is essential for the follower of Christ? It expresses our dependency, it realigns our desires, it sharpens our focus. And through prayer and through meditation on the word of the Lord, this is the second thing that the psalmist teaches us today. It teaches us that we can trust that, God, that the God of the Bible is able. Now, why phrase it that way? Why phrase it with the God of the Bible is able? Because that's the only one who is able, right? Sometimes we have this this jaded picture of who God is and who the Lord is. You, you just hear it through different conversations. That's why the word of the Lord is so important because God does the impossible time and time again. God does what man cannot do and God does what, in spite of what man has done, right? And so the God of the Bible is able. Now, how do we know that he is able? Well, one, God, you are nearer. That's what we learn in scripture. God, you are near. Notice the contrast between verse 150 and where we, gonna, where we are in verse 151. The psalmist's enemies are doing what? They're closing in on him. They are near is what he said. But in the midst of all that, verse 151, first part, but you are near, O Lord. In other words, God is not caught off guard when the enemy attacks, when the stresses and struggles of life come. In fact, it's during those times that we truly get to experience the closeness of the Lord. The psalmist is not glossing over the fact that he is not in a place of affliction or hurt or hardship, right? He recognizes that he can't stop those attacks. He can't do it. But in the midst of that, where is he calling out to? He's calling out to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is always with us. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, fear not, that's a command by the way, fear not for I am with you, that is a promise and you're going to notice this sequence through this passage, be not dismayed, that's a command, for I am your God, that is a promise, here's the other promises, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you, when you slip, the Lord will uphold you, how? With my righteous right hand. Do you see the beauty of the command is always connected to the promise? God never calls us to do anything without first showing us the promise. Think about the beauty of that. I am always with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. How? With my righteous right hand, with my own very character. Every command is given in light of what? That God is near. He is near. For every follower of Christ, 
we have the precious blessing of, a, of the shepherd's presence in our life, right? You go back to Psalm uh, 23. Uh, David writes, verse four, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a recognition that all of life is not about green pastures and still waters. Have you agreed? Have you understood that today? It's not green pastures and still waters, but the shadow of the darkness of death. And what is the shepherd doing? He's near. He's working. He's walking. He's guiding us through. So much so that the scripture says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In the presence of evil, in the presence of wickedness, Lord, you are near to me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They guide me. They protect me. They provide for me. They prove to me that you are near. Do you believe that in the darkest moments of your life that God is near? That God is near. Asaph recognized this. He learned this. He was reminded of this. Uh, He learned that God is enough. You look at Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28. Uh, What an amazing passage. He says, who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Now, this wasn't always the case. Now, Asaph, he's, he's the prime worship leader, right? He, he's the one, he's the number one person that helps uh, gather the people of the Lord to worship the Lord, to honor the Lord. This is, that's his calling in his life. And he says this, but that wasn't always the case. Asaph experienced a season in time where he, he was looking at what was happening around him and he was questioning this. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth following the Lord? Have I done all these things in vain? Right? He's looking at the prosperity of the wicked, the health of the wicked, all those different things, all those things closing down on him, and he's beginning to question, is it worth it? And it wasn't until he entered into the presence of the Lord that he began to get a new perspective. He says in verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lord, whatever I need, you will provide. You see how the focus changes. When I am weak, you will give me strength. When I am restless, you will give me rest. When I am rejected, you will show me that you have accepted me. When I am lost and confused, Lord, you will, you will rescue me. When I am battered and bruised, you will restore me. When I am anxious and afraid, you will give me peace and stability. And when I am lonely, you will give me comfort. Why? Because God is able. God, you are good. Verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. You see how his desires got realigned. He thought what he really needed was better health and more finances, right? But what he really needed was to be near to the Lord, a realigning of his desires. What's changed? His circumstances haven't changed. What changed? His perspective. His perspective changed. He's in, he's underneath the wing of the Lord, the power of the presence of the Lord. Where in your life do you need that perspective to change? Where in your life have you been consumed about all the things that are happening around you and forgotten the precious uh, blessing that we have of knowing that God is near. The scripture says, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Why? Because God is able. Not only that, God, your word is true. 
Second part of verse 151, uh, the scripture says, and all your commandments are true. The word of the Lord is true because God himself is true, right? He will not speak lies in any way. And that's why you and I, early in the morning, late at night, we go where? We rest in the promises of God. Psalm 62, verse 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I love the word pour. It's an idea of just dumping everything out, right? I remember growing up, you, my kids even now, they have Legos and all this stuff, and you're trying to find that one piece, right? You know you have that piece unless the dog ate it. You got that piece, but you can't find it. So you're sloshing around, and you have one other option. What is that? Just dump it all out, right? And so that's what the scripture is com uh, communicating to us in Psalm 62, verse 8, that we are to pour out our hearts before him. We are to dump all those things out. Because in the midst of that dumping, yes, it is messy, Yes, it is revealing, but there is where we can find the very thing that we're looking for, right? Pour it all out to the Lord. God allows circumstances in our lives where trusting in ourselves just isn't sufficient, right? It just doesn't satisfy to remind us that there is nothing in your life so big that it overwhelms him and nothing in your life so small that it is insignificant to him. He loves you. He wants you to pour out your heart to him. Will you choose this morning uh, to pour out your heart to the Lord? Will you choose this morning to rest and to trust in the truth that is found in the gospel? When the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and, and one of those areas that he's writing about is just the importance of prayer, uh, he, said, he tells them, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and through supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now the question is, how is it that you and I are to get the peace of God which surpasses all understanding and has the ability to guard our hearts and guard our minds in Christ Jesus? What is, what is the practice that we put before it? Well, he tells us in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. The call of the disciple of Christ is to dwell on what is true. All those characteristics, whatever, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, all those things are characteristics of who Jesus Christ is and the very gospel that he proclaimed. The question is, what are you dwelling on today? Are you truly dwelling on the truth that is found in the gospel? Everything you ponder, Everything you think about, everything that takes any, any residence in your mind or your heart today, filter it through the lens of the gospel. You have to discipline yourself not to always listen to the voice of your flesh, right? Or the voice of this world. You must discipline yourself by the grace of God to focus and filter all things through the truth of the gospel. So what are you dwelling on this morning? Are you dwelling on the very truth that is found in God's word? Lastly, how do we know that the God of the Bible is able? God, your promises last forever. Your promises last forever. We can pray with confidence, right? That's what the psalmist says in verse 152. He says, long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. The psalmist says, I have known for a long time that you are faithful, that, you, that your word is firmly fixed, that it is established, your promises are unchanging, they last forever. He knows that the Lord will not leave him or forsake him. He believes that God will never lie to him. These are things that he, 
has grown up in. He's understood. He has seen with his own eyes. He's heard it through the testimonies of those who have gone before him. The question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that the promises of God last forever? The way that you can determine that is, where do you go when you're hurting? Where do you go when you're struggling? Where do you go when you're broken? I mean, where do you go when you're bitter and discontent, right? Where do you go? Those are the places that reveal, are you truly trusting that the promises of God last forever? You know, I know every follower of Christ hopes that we will faithfully turn to the Lord in all things. But the reality is, guess what? We don't. And we need to be honest with that. We need to recognize that. There are times when we turn to the things of this world, things that come from our own strength, things that come from our own resources. So how do we address those wandering moments that we have? And every single one of us have those. How can we address our tendency to forget that God is near, that his word is true, and that his promises endure forever? I think we can learn a lot from the saints in the Old Testament, right? That's why, one of the reasons why we read the Old Testament. Uh, think about uh, the picture that we have in the book of Joshua. God's people finally, finally are, are able to enter into the promised land, right? After years of wandering and years of captivity, they're finally there. They cross over the Jordan. Their feet finally land on the promised land. And it's there that God gives tremendous instruction to Joshua in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The scripture says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people from each tribe of man and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called to the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. So Joshua is doing what? He is doing what God said to do. That's important. Verse 5, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, so there's 12 tribes, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. How do you combat your wandering moments? Build places of remembrance. Write them down. Share them with your kids. Share them with brothers and sisters in Christ. Because in those moments of wandering, you need that voice to speak to you. You need the people around you. You need your journal to say, God has been faithful. God has been faithful. You go back to the word of the Lord. God has been faithful. God has been faithful. You know, it's so easy to forget about the goodness of the Lord. It, in the midst of just chaos of life, it's easy to forget the faithfulness of the Lord. Man, choose every day to have a stone of remembrance. Lord, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Do you recognize this morning as a follower of Christ that your prayer life is essential? that it truly does express your dependency on the Lord, that it truly does realign your desires toward the things of God, that it truly does sharpen your focus. Yes, there's things all around us, but our focus needs to be on the Lord and his word. Do you recognize that the God of the Bible 
is able. Though your enemies are near, he is nearer. That the God of the Bible is true. His word is true. And every promise that he communicates will last forever. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe your prayer life is waning or uh, maybe you don't even know where to start. Man, you have been given as a follower of Christ a precious gift with full access to the Father through prayer. Share that time with him. As you spend time on the word, pray. As you pray, spend time on the word. They go together. I want to encourage you as you uh, just have a time of response. What is it that the Lord is asking you to do? What is that next?